Welcome to Marine Lands, a podcast about Mumbai's hidden worlds from the suburbs to the sea. I'm Raghu Karnad. Now, what I love about exploring these hidden worlds is that most of them are hidden in plain sight, right there in front of our eyes. They might be the world of animal life or coastal sea life or human life, and there's nothing hidden in open view in Mumbai like human love and physical desire. And it's tough. In fact, if there's anything that's more difficult for humans in Mumbai than it is for other animals or birds or fish, it's probably making love. Most people who live in the city don't have the private space for it, so public space has to be borrowed for the most private moments. I wanted to talk about this with Paromita Vora, who's just a breath of fresh air whenever she talks about love, sex, freedom, desire, and how they exist in a very, very crowded city. She might be Mumbai's most beloved columnist for her weekly column, Paranormal Activity. And she's also a filmmaker on similar themes. And Paramita also runs Agents of Ishq, which is this amazing site for positive conversations about sex. Sex that is kind, loving, open, but isn't always easy. You'll find some of her short films on YouTube, and I really think you'll enjoy them. So here's Paramita. Paramita, hi. Uh, let me begin by asking you about your younger life in the city and what got you thinking so much about intimacy and sex. Has your life involved any touchy-feely moments in a park? No touchy-feely moments in the park, but some by the seaside uh, where all young people in, and not so young people in Bombay go. Uh, I mean, I think like amongst the many things I noticed, I moved to Bombay as an adult to study when I was 20. Uh, but I had always come here even as a kid. And I think even as a kid, I would notice that there was generally a more relaxed attitude in Bombay towards love, sex, desire. And um, Bombay has a lot of mythology of uska uske saath lafra ho gaya tha. And, you know, like there are all these stories about romance and people doing crazy things for love and uh, falling in love with the neighbor. And so I did notice that people were much more relaxed about it than in other places. Uh, I had come from Delhi where you had to be home by 7.38, otherwise everybody would get anxious. Uh, so in contrast, I think Bombay has a city where you could go out at any time with anyone and nobody in public would look at you twice. And then you'd see always by the seaside, all of these couples making out, you know, all along Marine Drive in a row, uh, covered with dupattas or under an umbrella. And nobody saying anything, like everybody just continuing all the uncles in their shorts and socks continuing on their evening works alongside this. Sometimes you'd even see them in the middle of the day, like after college, they've come there or whatever. And of course, and I would also notice so many people in the train, on the bus, like so many intimacies, because people maybe meet at work, they can meet when they're away from home and then they travel back home together. And how they snatch these moments of privacy in a city that doesn't give you much space, right? So that you will take the bus together, so that you can have that time together, which you won't be able to have otherwise, because you don't have a space where to go. And of course, I also began to hear a lot about many hotels in Bombay that used to rent by the hour. And it was part, It was not something that was necessarily, it was not fully sleazy. It was in between. Like people felt it's a bit dodgy, but it was also very accepted. So I think that certainly uh, Bombay revealed that there's an entire world that's quite accepting of intimacy and that a lot of this intimacy doesn't happen as you would imagine behind closed doors. But it's actually happening in full view. So, so I, I know that uh, that you wouldn't go on to make films both about the opportunity afforded by being able to eat and by being able to pee 
in the city and how that kind of really turns the key for for allowing women into the city but i actually want to start by asking you about the problem of making love in the city or of just being physically close just a few weeks ago you wrote a column in which you talk about the feeling of tenderness when you see couples uh, sitting huddled up next to each other searching for a form of privacy in the most public places tell me more about what you see happening uh, around the city as people look for that kind of privacy and that intimacy i think uh, you know bombay uh, relationship to privacy is very different than many other cities because as you know it's a congested city and housing is very difficult in bombay and uh, bombay has changed a lot but if we think about say 20 years ago even i would say the city was less stratified although already its working class nature was shifting one has to remember that bombay was originally a city of many many working class peoples they did shape some of the culture of the city but it's also true that they lived in chawls so there wasn't a lot of space you have to also think that even where it is sanctioned that people can have sex with each other or privacy is okay there actually isn't space for real privacy like in a physical sense in contrast people who live in other parts of the country have discovered might have bigger houses they might have more space but privacy as a concept is not easily accepted because indian society does want to make decisions about its children especially upper caste society wants to decide who what their children will do whom they will marry and the desire to control children's sexuality is very strong and privacy is the first place where that control is operating right so for example i made a film in meerut about moral policing and one of the women i interviewed she said that you know agar koi bachcha kamre mein akele baith ke kuch kar raha hai not with the rest of the family it's not fair na i was like why is it unfair but this idea that anything that you don't do with the family is somehow suspect and that privacy and secrecy are the same thing and that secrecy is a bad thing that means you're hiding something from people which should not be known to others you know so i think that a conceptual privacy is not available to people in most other parts of the country and in bombay that conceptual privacy is now it's changing but for the longest time i feel was very much available to people maybe because the physical privacy wasn't present right so even married people would sometimes have to go seeking a private place somewhere else and if you can't afford to rent a room somewhere where will you go you'll go to some open public space i mean people have done that forever so in the north you know there were all these what it's called company gardens so company gardens which were made in colonial times are always not in the residential area that's why people like to go there because nobody who knows them will be over there in bombay i think that people there are fewer open spaces now but even in working class areas you'd have a kamgar maidan and you would have public spaces in the neighborhood but the seaside is where you go if you want to be away from yeah that's people, right. right there's a line you wrote that i that i read and i just uh, laughed out loud when you're talking about how delhi has these large leafy like landscaped parks but mumbai's parks are quote uh, inhospitable to lovers as they are tiny and devoted to several anti-romantic auto guilt inducing activities like shaka practice and jogging but you say mumbai offers the seaside with its organza thin privacy for lovers and the all too symbolic rocks for advanced intimacies but what what you find is you know special about the seaside in mumbai that makes it like a refuge for physical intimacy so i mean i wouldn't even use the word romantic you know i mean in this idea of the sunset and strolling in the sunset which might be how we interpret romantic seaside time no bombay is functionally it's a, it's a sexual space right because like the big thing in bombay is that if you're driving by the seaside or if you're driving by now near the sea link that that promenade there it is dotted with these couples right and yeah. they cover their heads with dupattas or they're under an umbrella 
yeah. making like a small private room for themselves, very temporary privacy of sorts. But they're all sitting near each other. You'll see people walking past them, not saying anything. So that idea that we know they don't have another place to go. So they're here making out and uh, we let them. We will afford them privacy by acting as if we have not seen them, which I find yeah. is so special. That Of course, it's right there. Everybody knows, but you're pretending you haven't seen it. And there's something so beautiful about that. It is so kind-hearted to say, what can they do? Where should they go? So I'll give them conceptual privacy. And I think that to, to some extent symbolizes, you know, what was once Bombay's openness. I, I don't, I mean, I'm not nostalgic about cosmopolitanism and, you know, I'm not in the Mumbai versus Bombay category at all. But I do feel like there's a certain degree of acceptance in the public space that has definitely reduced in Bombay in the last few years. And there are reasons for that. But there's one more thing, you know, that also in the seaside in the rock, there are spaces where people can go, you know, they can go to second and third base closer <laughs> to the sea, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if you're like on the edge, the closer you are to land, then you are like in relatively uh, like necking territory. And then if you want to get more seriously sexually, go more and more towards the sea. And a few things happen there. One is that you can pay people money to guard you while you're in that corner doing your business. Oh, I didn't realize that's what you have In to some do. places that happens. So like in the mangroves and all that. And of course, the other big thing that began to happen is that many lovers would get so carried away that they wouldn't come to the tide is coming in. So around, I think, 2010 or 2011, the mayor of Bombay, she did this thing where she went to the seaside to tell the lovers that please, you know, we're not coming here to moral police you. <laughs> please come back because of your safety. So it's an entire parallel culture and economy of intimacy that is available on the seaside and it has its gradations and its locations and its, you know, permutations, so to speak. So those rocks are then a beautiful metaphor about the about the kind of the thrilling public space in which you can venture out into get close to your lover. But it's also a risky privacy. It offers you an opportunity, but not any kind of guaranteed safety. And it's something you called, you know, approvingly, you called it two parallel universes in the same space. These couples are sitting in plain view, but they are treated as though they're invisible to the eye. But are publics, do you, do you think that public spaces should then be made more inviting to people looking for love and intimacy? So, I mean, I think like another thing I, I wanted to mention, like you always see these very forlorn kind of uh, lovers at the station, right? Like the woman will be in the <laughs> ladies compartment and her boyfriend or whatever her friend will be standing out and they're like little apostrophes of dejection because now they have to part. And they're like trying to talk as much as they can till the train leaves. I mean, you see many, many spaces. Uh, and all of this has been, of course, memorialized in movies. The idea that people fell in love on the commute. Or that, you know, even every public space yields a private interaction if you want to wrest it from there. I mean, friendships also. Many things happen. But I'm saying that along with that, these intimacies. And that you notice that nobody sniggers or nobody looks askance. And alongside it, the other thing that I noticed is also heartbreak is very well accommodated in the public spaces because in the ladies' compartment, I have cried. I have seen many girls crying, you know, like many times when something difficult has happened and then you can't help it. And how everybody lets you be. And everybody looks at you kindly, but looks away also. They give you privacy, but they surround you with this cloak of empathy. And I think that is quite an unusual and a very typically Bombay thing in my mind. I've not seen it in other cities. Um, and, a, and a great memory I have of it is I was walking on Marine Drive with my friend and suddenly she stopped and picked up a dupatta which, was, which had fallen on the pavement and she quickly gave it to this kissing couple and said, Aapka dupatta gir gaya tha. And, you know, 
and we quickly walked on. And I was I was very startled. I had just moved that time. Now in Delhi, if you did that, it would be to make fun of the couple. But she was literally just you know. So I think that is my first memory of noticing this behavior and this thing. So um, it's like the city is rooting for them. Yeah, the city is accepting of this. I think that it also points to the fact that public space was seen as belonging to many people. Right. Even now, Marine Drive is a place which doesn't belong to any one type of person. I think like if you say, should should cities have spaces that are more welcoming to intimacy, to lovers, to romance? Of course, it's a mark of urbanity to be accepting. Uh, it's a mark of adulthood to accept all aspects of life uh, and make space for it in a city because a city has to accommodate life. Right? It's, a city is built for people. It's not built only for commerce and all aspects of life should be accommodated there. If you come into a city and you see that it, its gardens are full of lovers, you know that it has a good king. I love that. It's great, right? It's beautiful the way you highlight how Bombay does offer its public spaces to lovers. But, you know, when I think about my own my own adolescence and being a younger person, I had the privilege of quite a lot of privacy. I grew up in a house with my own room and I still felt like I didn't have enough privacy. Just because when you're in the grip of hormones or attraction or maybe even if you're just longing for someone, uh, you know, the, your, your need for privacy can be enormous. Therefore, we, part of the reason that we feel tender for two couples who are strung out along, like cup pearls along the queen's necklace, as you once said, is because they are also frustrated. At the same time, there's, you, you, you know that their hands can reach so far and no further. And what that makes me think of is that, is that this situation, it makes me think of something that uh, was said to me by a common friend of ours, actually of yours and mine, uh, Gautam Bhan. And he once said, India's never going to be friendly to homosexuality until it's friendly to heterosexuality. And that really just opened up my eyes because I didn't realize until then just how unfair this country even is to heterosexuals. So what is it that's happening at home, do you think? Obviously, the problem starts at home and pushes people out. The idea of privacy is not only physical. Now, the term private is almost always appended to the idea of property. And it's about ownership rather than experience. When you say that when you were young and you wanted that space, even though you had your own room, you wanted solitude of a deeper kind in which you could fully immerse yourself in whatever you were feeling. right? And that's, that's an experience. That's a state of being that we're talking about. And I do think that is fundamentally linked to, to our individuality. And I think this is always a very vexed kind of area in Indian culture. We, we have a very, uh, what can I say? It's a very predetermined idea of what a life should be. And, and everything that we do is supposed to fulfill the family's honor, goal, prosperity, whatever. Everything that we do is linked to family. Very rarely about making your own personal choices and going forward. And right. there is a lot of suspicion of anything you do which will lead you away. So even if you get too involved in music, that's why people are discouraged from being in the arts. Because the arts are so immersive that you will get totally misled and you'll abandon, you'll become a bohemian character, which I mean, I can testify to it's the truth, but <laughs> it's that it will take you away from all of this kind of mariada and this structure that exists, right? So even homes are constructed in, with everything happening in with commonality, with very little privacy. But more than that, I don't think you're encouraged to choose for yourself just for yourself. It's considered selfish. So even when you are choosing, I think this the place in your head, which is privacy, is continuously policed in our culture. Well, in all cultures, but all the more in our culture, I would say. And therefore, your guilt, shame, unease 
and self-doubt about your private space is also huge, right? So the thing is that people tend to normally hide if they have some romantic relationship because they also feel people will bring a gaze of great, like, sleaziness to it. The gaze is also the thing that takes away your privacy, right? When you're saying that I want to be by myself, even if nobody in your family would uh, mock you, even if they teased you affectionately, like when you're an adolescent, all that is very piercing and you don't want anybody to make light of your emotions, right? Other people's gaze, I think, is the thing that also constrains privacy. And at home, there's a lot of that, especially so when it comes to intimate life. It's very much more so for girls, of course. But I think, yes, even for boys, I mean, like if you, it's difficult if you decide you're a trans person. It's difficult if you decide you're a boy who loves a boy. It's, it's not an easy thing, right? So I think that what Gautam said is very true, that we can't accept homosexuality easily or can't be hospitable to it rather, to queerness, unless we are hospitable to the idea of adulthood. Being, yes, adulthood. Being, yeah, being a journey of choosing things for yourself. And so then when we speak about being in the public space, you're also making private journeys in the public space. Each of us as an individual is making a private journey in the public place. And I think that used to be a bit special about Mom. It continues to be to a great extent that this is a city where you have the possibility of making a private journey via the public space. I actually really love that you landed on the word adulthood because now I'm just going to keep on quoting you. Uh, a line that I that really st stuck with me uh, when you wrote, our inability to grant privacy to family members is also an inability to grant adulthood to individuals. And I think that's that's probably what it feels like. You know, you're trapped in in, in the roles of, like a child being controlled at home. And then that pushes out, pushes people out into public spaces. So the gaze at home is where it's where you're meant to have privacy is judgmental. And then in Bombay, luckily for many people, the gaze outside, uh, which is pub, which is a public space, is non-judgmental. And that's how the seaside and everywhere, like you, you know, certain spots on a college campus, certain spots along train tracks, undoubtedly the entire geography of Bombay is kind of full of public spaces converted magically into private spaces. I want to ask you to, to reflect on the way that that kind of intimacy muddles up how we dis define what's public and what's private. Mm. I think that, uh, uh, you know, the public space is often defined, I mean, private property is defined as that which is owned by people individually, often. Um, privatization is another word that we use, which allows corporates to make profits of spaces. Uh, and then constrain how they can be used, actually. So you can decide to, as a corporate, take over a park and then suddenly introduce an entry fee uh, for the price of keeping that park safe, so to say, right? right. Uh, uh, and uh, at the same time, um, what is public is considered to be a place that everybody is traversing, right? Going up and down. So for example, if you take the example of toilets, a public toilet is called a public toilet if it's in a place where all sorts of people are walking. So if it's like, say, outside Churchgate Station or, you know, in front of Metro Cinema, then it's a public space. Almost anybody and anybody, everybody has a right to be traversing that space, as opposed to a community toilet, which is inside a busty or a slum and is used by the community around there. Although nobody will stop you and I from using it if we happen to be passing by. Right? So, right. Th so there are a number of types of usage. Uh, but the truth is that those who are in the public space are often, it's not only that they're kissing or making out in public, but people are also going to the toilets in public. People are living on the street. Right? If people live on the street, if they 
cook on the street and make love on the street and have their babies and bring them up on the street, then I just start to wonder that should we so when we say it's a public space, do we mean that those people can't have their privacy or their private life, which they're having willy-nilly uh, in that space because they work for those who have private property and support that infrastructure at some level. I just feel like it muddles up the very comfortable distinction between public and private. The muddling is very important because um, it breaks open all the hierarchies of class, caste, uh, that make these binaries, right? Because the binary is always fake. So when you have a binary of public and private, it seems very simple, but we know it's not because the same person can do something very private in public, like go and make out with their lover and do something very public in the private space, like have a party, for example, right? So nothing is that simple. And in fact, there should be a third category of the personal, which freely mixes and remixes the private and the public continuously and fluidly, right? And so I just think that if we start to think about experience as a, as a defining quality of things, then we would change the way we thought about public space as well. And, uh, uh, you know, as a slight extension, there has been a, a whole discourse about gender in public space in the last few years, which is an important discourse. And it has intersected with the conversation about sexual safety. So the idea that women should be able to go out into the public space and have the same freedoms as men, there's nothing to question in this and that they should be safe. There's nothing to question in this. But here is the thing, that women are actually not that much in danger of sexual violence in the public space. Almost 99% of cases of sexual violence happen in the home, uh, in the private space, which is supposed to be safe, but it's not. Obviously, it's not because all those power dynamics operate in the form. So when they, and it's a fact that's concealed from us, actually. Yeah. So the idea of the private also, is, you know, I mean, that's a whole other discussion we can't get into, but it's essentially also decided as a way for communities to control their women and their children, their property and their clan purities. But uh, so even our laws, I mean, anyway, that's a whole, whole other podcast. But the thing is that um, I, I just feel that when we speak about public space and women, for instance, being able to go out there, it's not that women are not in the public space because you're actually talking about middle-class women. But are you telling me, I mean, working-class women are living in the public space, right? But when you're talking about women's safety, you're almost never referring to those working-class women. You're always talking about the middle-class woman who went out. Now the middle-class woman, why is she not out? Because see, I never had any problem going out and about in Bombay as a middle-class woman. I have sat on Marine Drive by myself. Nobody has bothered me. I mean, uh, you know, when I used to write sometimes for Time Out magazine, I proposed doing a story for them on quarter bars, which were these bars in Bombay where you can order a quarter of booze, right? And they were always outside the railway station. And it's such a Bombay thing. But it's not like too many women went there. But I, I went to five bars with a couple of women friends, and one of them, we went at 3 a.m. And it was a really divey, divey bar. We were the only women there. All the men looked at us. It was a little working class. They looked at us. They were a little bit surprised. But, you know, after two minutes of looking at us, they left us alone. So I just, I'm presenting all of these stories to say there is something in the private space of respectable women, that is to say upper caste and middle class women, that constrains their presence in the public space. But when we start talking about this idea of women being unsafe in the public space, actually, we are setting up a kind of narrative about class that we should be careful of, right? If you consider that women are mostly being assaulted 
by people whom they know in their private spaces. In the public space, there is discomfort and there isn't always acceptance. Of course, that's true. But maybe it's when you start seeing that, oh, there's the men outside who are almost always working class men. I mean, men are sitting around and loitering also because sometimes they don't have jobs or yes, they are able to do that time pass because maybe they don't have space in the house. I don't know. There are many types of men out there. And again, it invisibilizes the women who are already outside, who are working on, who are living on the street, who are working on the street, who may be sex workers, who may be trans women. There are all kinds of women outside in the street. So I think that, you know, the public space is a very complex space. And many narratives about public space right now are create, being created to sanitize it and to map, like to stratify the city, which I would say that, you know, 20 years ago, Bombay wasn't so much like that. Like there was number of public spaces, the cinema hall, the train, the seaside, where a number of different types of people converged and they, they sat alongside each other. So I think via the logic of gender, we're also doing a kind of class sanitizing of the public space that will actually make the city poorer in a strange sense, culturally. That actually is a beautiful lead into, I think that, you know, you brought up queer lives or we were talking about queer lives and there's one, one more way in which queer lives illuminate a queer lives and love illuminates uh, heterosexual life and love in, in the city as well, which is that at home, which is your supposedly private space, uh, you may, you know, your, your, your desire and your love might be completely ruled out. You might, you might be vulnerable to, to violence. And then it's in public, it's in public places that your most intimate um, needs and your human needs can be explored. And uh, the first place that I actually saw this visualized was on Agents of Ish when you guys created this just delightful map of queer living and loving in Mumbai. Yeah. Why don't you tell us a bit about that map and, and what it was like just uncovering uh, this queer history and uh, telling it as a Bombay story? So I think, you know, uh, one of the things about queerness, which is not only about being LGBT, is that, you know, as you rightly pointed out, people who are not conforming to typical, typical intimate lives often do find places to come together. So there may be many straight people who are not so straight in the way that they make their intimate choice, who end up having a lot of friends in the LGBT community because the space to be different is created by the community that is different, right? The, the, the regular world is never going to create that space. So you make your own spaces. Um, and so a lot of these things like Maheshwari Udyan or that one place near Gateway or whatever, you know, it's just folklore and that we would hear our friends talk about it. And then there was this thing called the Gulabi Yata that was done one year, which was a kind of guided tour that in the pre-internet days, how did gay men, in that, in that tour, no, it was all queer people. So how did people meet and meet other queer people in the days before the internet? So it was just by word of mouth that, oh, in Maheshwari Udyan is where you go, where there are many people. Or um, on Marine Drive in this one particular place, these women meet at times, right? And uh, so then we used it as a starting point and we began speaking to many people. So the map actually became a kind of, it's a map of time as much as space, right? And it's a sort of parallel history of the city, I would say. I think the histories of cities are the histories of people who've lived in those cities and who shaped those cities. And if Bombay has been hospitable to people in, of different kinds and allowed them to make unusual lives, uh, which have become 
you know, like symbols of possibility for the rest of the country as well, uh, for other parts of the country, then it is a lot because of those whose intimate lives were very different. Uh, I mean, I think queer people, I think movies, people who were in the movies, people who lived on the edges in a way, who reshaped the city. So I think when I look at the map, the queer map of Mumbai, or it's called Q marks the spot. And of course, it's an ever-growing, ever-growing map. Um, I think about uh, what beauty there is in human desire. Uh, and uh, if you look at it with an eye of love, then you can see the beauty, right? Like this map is, is it's a history of love of the city where people are trying, trying to make space for themselves, make space for others. And uh, it's, it's, it's not only a romantic map of Bombay, it's a kind of exciting map of Bombay, right? And it's an exciting map of life. It's also an activist map. So it marks out places where people have put together the struggle to create more spaces. And I think that's very important because, you know, a lot of the stuff on the internet, especially nowadays, in keeping with the stratifications that have happened in post-liberalization India, they encourage you to think about individual moments. Where did you first meet? Or, you know, like your personal memories. But what I love about the queer map is it is personal, it's political, it's public, it's many things. I mean, it, there were these like queer nights at a bar uh, some 10, 15 years ago, I think it started. So by then things were a little bit easier and it, like with the internet, people could find each other. But the fact that somebody did that is also so amazing and beautiful in a way, right? So the history of parties, the history of public activism, the history of personal romance, all of that is intertwined. That's what makes it queer, actually. And that's what queerness is live, right? Because we are all, all of those things intertwined. So I think, yes, that map is really special to us. And because it was, it's made through an oral history also. It was really took asking people uh, to put it together. It took us a while to do that. You know? And I'm sure many things are left out or many things need to be continuously added to it. Thank you, Paramita. I, I, I just love your reflections on, uh, on the things that we that we see and, and the answers that seem obvious but contain uh, so much more. Now the sight of couples finding intimacy and physical closeness uh, as they sit out on the rocks is going to be even more richer and more thought-provoking uh, for me. I wanted to add one thing though, you know, when you were asking me the thing about the private and the public, one of the things I was thinking that has really changed in Bombay is one, the moral policing which never existed before did yes. start to come in. And another thing that you must have heard very often, and this goes to your question about private space, is about how uh, girls can't rent flats easily in certain of parts of Bombay, right? Which didn't used to be such a big deal before. I mean, uh, to talk about that kind of uh, polyglot space, paying guests were a big thing in Bombay, right? So even a paying guest is like the couples kissing in the seaside, which is to say that you are living in somebody else's home but you're living a parallel life, right? There would be some controls there or not, depends. But now it's become like even in your own home, which you're renting from a landlord, there are already people dictating what you can and can't do, what your private choices can be. And I think that marks a very big shift uh, in Bombay's culture. And, uh, you know, the, the environment where uh, it's a city of diversity and many different people, a city of commerce, which is why sometimes people would say that I don't care what you do as long as you pay me the rent, has changed in some ways. And, you know, it would be interesting at some point for people to reflect on why that change has come. Yes, absolutely. I think that's that's so that's so true because we also forget that there are real barriers to even uh, obtaining a private space, not just financial uh, or economic barriers, but all kinds of cultural barriers that, that say who is allowed to have a flat, a room, uh, 
and what kind of room and and who isn't and in keeping with that you know also like the public parks is nana nani parks which have come about where the benches are separated right uh, which also say to you that older people are just supposed to sit in so- sit separately i mean like they cannot hold hands and sit on a bench together because they are older people it's also a strange right. thing yeah this kind of ageist it makes us think that the only people who are out there looking for physical touch or or privacy or intimacy or even to meet a stranger are uh, are young people whereas uh, that it, it's probably true of everyone throughout their whole lives and well uh, that's uh, th- thank you very much i really loved uh, i love talking about this and i wish we had more time but i'll definitely appreciate the spaces and the gazes in mumbai that allow this uh, i'll appreciate it more than ever thank you bye thanks all right